Well, good morning again, church. Good morning. It is great to gather and worship on any Sunday, but especially this Sunday as it is Easter, and we are here again to celebrate and remember the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have sung and prayed and worship. Now we have the privilege of turning and hearing from our God and His Word in worship. And if you are new or newer here at this church this morning, we are so glad you're with us this Easter Sunday morning. But right away, as we begin this message, I want to address something that you might have thought while that scripture was being read. And that's answering why we're looking at this passage here on Easter Sunday. Because I do admit, this is not a typical resurrection passage. And if you are here and you're new to Jesus or the Bible, I want you to know that there are passages in God's Word that explain very clearly what happened in history on that Sunday after Jesus' death. And those passages explain clearly that Jesus really died, and then how three days later, he rose physically from the dead, and that changed the world. But the reason I chose this passage for this morning here in John 2 is because as I was considering a few weeks ago what to choose for this important Sunday morning, this passage kept taking center stage. And that's because at first, this just might seem like a random story about Jesus and his flipping over tables and these religious workers in the temple. But as we'll see this morning, when we think about this story and what's really going on here, and when we especially see Jesus and his response and answer to what's going on, it's quite the amazing story. And it's an amazing story that not only will talk about the resurrection, But it's a passage in which, in a way, shows us what Christianity, what Jesus is all about. And why Christianity is not only true, but it's the hope of the world. And so with all that said, there's a lot going on here in this story. But to cover it all in our time this morning, and to really apply it to us, whether you're here and you are a Christian, or whether you're here and you're not a Christian, in order to do all that, we're simply going to have two main sections this morning with two main questions. Two main questions. And these questions are based on somewhat typical questions that everyone, everywhere, and every religion or even just worldview is seeking to answer. And as you'll see, they are beautifully and compellingly answered in our passage. So two main questions this morning. And very simply, first, we'll ask, what's wrong with us and our world and our brokenness? And then second, and following that, we'll ask, and what's the solution? And so in summary, two questions. First, what's wrong with us and the world? And then second, and what is the solution? And it's in answering those questions that we'll see more clearly, not only what's going on here in the story we just read, but we'll also see more clearly what's really going on in our hearts and in this world and how Jesus relates to all of it. But with that said, let's now begin our first section together. And a reminder, here we're asking, what's wrong? with us and our world in our brokenness. And for this, we're going to be in that first paragraph there in John 2, verses 13 through 17. And on this, what we're going to do is we're going to first understand what's going on here in this story. And then second, we'll take a step back and we'll see how it applies to all of us. So first, we'll start with the story here. And for this, we'll begin with just verse 13. So look down your Bibles if you can, because again, what matters is what God's word has to say. Verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So we'll stop there, and that sentence is an introductory sentence to this scene. 
And as you can see, Jesus is going up to the city of Jerusalem in history for the Passover. And this is significant for many reasons, but concerning the story itself and what we're about to see, we need to know that as John writes that Jesus is going up to Jerusalem for the Passover, so also many other Jews at this time from all over were doing the exact same thing. And that's because God had chosen the temple in Jerusalem as the place in the Old Testament where he was worshipped. Or even more foundational, the temple in essence was simply the place where God decided to meet with his people. And then as for the Passover, it was one of their important feasts when the Jews remembered their deliverance from Egypt. If you know that story and how God had delivered them through the blood of the lamb. And and therefore every year scholars think that perhaps around 100,000 Jews from all over would make the trip to Jerusalem if they could all to worship at the temple. But that then leads to what actually happened in the temple in those next couple verses. And yet before we do look there, as some important background of what we're about to read now, we need to know that when these thousands of Jews traveling from all over went to worship, they usually in worship gave money in the temple, and they usually offered animals to be sacrificed in the temple, all in accordance with the Old Testament. But on this, very importantly, remember, these travelers were coming from all over. And so concerning their money they were to give, it often was a different currency than the currency that was used in the temple. And so they needed to exchange that money for temple currency. And then concerning their animals that they wanted to offer and sacrifice, their own animals often couldn't make the trip to travel the many miles to Jerusalem. And so instead... These travelers often bought animals in the temple in order to worship. And in a way, that became normal. And and it would work as long as those in the temple were fairly exchanging money and fairly offering up and selling animals. But sadly, that wasn't happening. Instead, the context we're about to read is that the temple workers were taking awful advantage of these travelers. So that's the background. With all that said, let's now read the next couple of verses. Look down at your Bibles, verses 14 and 15. In the temple, he, Jesus, found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. So so hopefully Jesus' anger now makes more sense to you. And, And to be clear, as is shown in the other accounts of Jesus, Jesus here had been to the temple before this many times. And so this wasn't some rash, uncontrollable outburst from Jesus here. Not at all. He, he was sinless. He never sinned in anger. Instead, this was Jesus' planned and right and loving response to what was going on. Because again, think of this situation. A hundred thousand or so of people are coming in with the goal of meeting with God and worshiping him at the temple. And yet, what were those in the temple doing? They were twisting something good and using it for their own advantage. 
Because concerning the money, the reason why Jesus made a whip of cords and overturned the money changers' tables in verse 15 there is because they were charging unfair, ridiculous exchange prices to these travelers. When again, these, these people had no other choice if they genuinely wanted to worship here. And then concerning the oxen and sheep and pigeons, the reason why Jesus rightly was angry with these workers is because they were charging a ton for their animals. And they were often saying that the animals that the people did bring if they bought them weren't good enough. And so they had to buy from these people. And so all that said, Jesus' right response to all that was anger. And specifically, it was loving anger. Because how do you and I respond? When we see someone we love being taken advantage of, well, we rightly, in love, feel anger. And in fact, if we knew that someone we love was being hurt, being abused and taken advantage of, it would be unloving for us to be numb and not care. And therefore, Jesus' response here is simply God himself showing up at his temple and showing how he felt about this twisting, hurtful thing that was going on here. Which finally leads us to the last couple verses in the first paragraph here. And here, Jesus speaks. So all that in mind, look down to your Bibles one last time on this section, verses 16 and 17. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So so both of these verses sum up a lot of what's going on here. Because first, concerning what Jesus says there in verse 16, we can see his assessment of what's going on and what he cares about. And you can see that in how he says that this is my father's house. Meaning this is where God the Father dwelt and this is where people could come and visit and meet with him. And yet what were these workers doing? Well, Jesus says they were essentially making his father's house a house of trade. And that assessment would have been shocking. Because remember, this temple was God's the loving, infinite creator, God's meeting place for this time. And Jesus shows up here and he's saying they've taken that and they've made it a place where they can trade and they can make money, which is really messed up. Which finally is why that quote in verse 17 about Jesus' zeal is there. Because after seeing all that, what should we say is going on in Jesus' heart? Well, as the Son of God here, Jesus loves his Father and he loves people meeting with God. And yet, all that is being broken and twisted for selfish reasons. And so Jesus is zealous for God's house. He's zealous for this to change. He's zealous for people not to twist something so good and use it for selfish reasons. Which is why one last time, seeing all this, he's lovingly angry. And so I know that might have been a lot, but that is the first half of the story here. And I do hope that all of us now feel more of what's going on here because Jesus is angry at what's going on here. And now we know why it's right and loving for him to be so. 
And to be clear, it's not only because the people are being taken advantage of here, although they are. But why this story is so unique is because of where this sin is also happening. Because remember, this is happening in the very temple of God. And so this isn't a random place. Instead, this is where God lovingly wants to meet with people. And yet people are hindering that. They're twisting it, almost denying God's reality in the temple and choosing to live their own little lives for their own advantage. Which then is how this really does apply to us. Because guess what? All of us, we're all a lot like these money changers and these pigeon sellers, more than we like to think. And I say that because now, when we step back and we think about what's really going on here, we see on multiple levels that this whole story is a powerful mini picture of why the world is so broken and of why you and I are so broken. Or to answer our question that we're answering in this section from earlier, this passage helps us answer what's wrong with us and what's wrong with the world and our brokenness. Because now to begin to apply what we just saw, think about what's at stake here in this account. Because what's at stake here in history was knowing and meeting with God. And I know, especially if you're not familiar with the Bible, the Old Testament, or Christianity, all this about a temple can sound so religious. Especially because it's so foreign, let's be honest, to our modern ears. But in reality, I, I hope you know that what this word is talking about here is not that strange. Because remember, all the Old Testament temple simply was the place where God decided to meet with people for this point in history. And yes, that does sound strange if we don't believe in God. But if you think about it, if we do believe there's there's a God, which is true of over 90% of Americans, then it isn't that strange to say that if God decides for a period of time to have people meet with him in a specific place, the temple, just to paint a picture for us, then he, of course, can do that. Right? So that's all that the temple was. It's where God decided people could meet with him at this point in history. And, and concerning what's at stake then, that then shows us that what's going on here is no small thing. Because above all, we as human beings are made to know God. Because God is our designer, our creator, And in reality, all the goodness in the world, right, and all the ache of our souls, it's simply a reflection of how we were made in his image and made to know him. Because look around at our world, right? We're all searching for purpose, for security, for peace, for hope, for love, for knowing that we matter. And all that is found in having a right relationship with the living God. And yet, when we search for all that apart from God, it doesn't work. Right? It might feel good for a time, but it doesn't ultimately work. And so that's what was at stake here in this temple, because this is where the people could relate to God, and that's still what matters for us. Because right? we too are designed by God and made to know God. But then, what, what got in the way in this story? <laughs> and, and what gets in the way for us? Well, essentially, human sin human sin. And, and, and I know, perhaps you may not like that word, because again, 
Like the word temple, the word sin can sound very religious, but all sin means in God's word is missing the mark. Right? And this missing the mark is exactly what these people were doing as they were making God's house a house of trade. And it's what we do all the time, even if it's not in exactly the same way. Because to bring this home to us now first, just think about what happened here in this story. Because ask yourself, why in the world would these temple workers do this? Right? Because at first, we, we may hear this and think, man, I'd never do that. These people are terrible. But in reality, again, we're more like them than we'd like to think. And so why would they do this? Well, if you think about it, in essence, it's apparently because they really thought that having more money or control would be good for them. It's the only reason why any of us sins. They thought it would, be good, it would be good for them and give them peace and security or joy or happiness or even purpose that they were looking for to, to do this. And now, in a way, this is the case for us too. Because let's be very clear, from the Bible's perspective, sin, any sin is sin. Now, now that doesn't mean that some sins aren't more tragic or hurtful or serious than others. But from the Bible's perspective, all missing the mark is missing the mark. And so for each one of us, a common sin of missing the mark of ours probably isn't being unfair to travelers like this. But but guess what? In, In essence, we're still like them. Because we too still just want to do our own lives in our own way and and we try so hard in whatever way to find peace and hope and security and purpose all apart from God. And we all do this in different ways. For some people, sin may be more religious like it is here in the story. And this type of religious sin, religious missing the mark, is what Jesus over and over denounced in the Pharisees of his day. And those of us who maybe are more like this, like usually being moral and right and religious, and yet often that type of sin and missing the mark is using those type of things, even seemingly good things like morality and God and twisting them for your own selfish reasons. That's exactly what was going on here in this story. And so that's one way we may be like this. But then for others, on the opposite side, we're like this not in religious ways maybe, but in totally non-religious ways. Right? And that type of missing the mark and seeking for security and peace apart from God can be in more outward sins, right? like showing greed or lying or stealing or sleeping around or whatever. But honestly, just as often, non-religious missing the mark often materializes itself and manifests itself in just trying to be the best I can and live a good life all apart from God. And again, if, if we're honest, it's this that's most common in our modern world. You know, in the past, the world was very outwardly religious. And and then in some cultures today, people are very expressly non-religious. But for most people today, most of us, most people will say they believe in God. But often they really think that the way to have peace and security and joy and purpose 
is simply to do the best I can and just live a, different, a decent life. All with little or no regard to God. But all that said, the point is, in the end, that is similar to what is going on here. Because God is real and he wants to have a relationship with you and I. And yet we, like these money changers here, but in all of our different ways, we decide to ignore him and just do whatever we think would be good and work best for us. And when we do that, and especially when we do that throughout our whole lives, we're missing the mark. We're missing it. Because that's not how we were made to be living apart from the living God. And it's ultimately hurtful to us and to others. Which finally, concerning us on this first section, brings us to talk about Jesus' response to all this. So, So that's us and how we're similar to these workers here who are disregarding God. But finally, what's Jesus' response in this story and to us like this? Well, it's, it's, it's loving anger. Loving anger. And I know, you may hear that and think, really? Anger? We're going to talk about Jesus' anger on Easter Sunday? But that's why this passage is so helpful and so exactly what we need. Because in reality, sin is awful. And we all know that. I mean, it really is. Just, just consider our world in many ways. God is so good to all of us. There is so much to enjoy. There is so much love and beauty in our world. And the Bible is clear. Everything that is good in our world is ultimately from God and originated in the very happiness of God. But also, there is a lot wrong. <laughs> there is a lot off in our world and in our hearts and in our desires. And as a result, there's so much hurt. So much confusion and loneliness and sadness and suffering and especially death. And all that is a result of sin coming into this world. It's a result of us as human beings choosing not to relate to God, but to do it our own way, like we see here. And so Jesus, being God, And seeing with perfect clarity all of this and what sin has done to our world and does to our lives. What does he feel? Well, first, he feels love because he loves us and he loves this world like he loved these people here. But also, he rightly feels anger because sin, the world's sin, your and my sin has really hurt the world. And it hurts us. And it hurts others. And so that's the answer to our first question. What's wrong with us and the world and our brokenness? In summary, it's that like we see in this story, God is real and the source of all goodness and beauty and and joy and security. And he wants to have a relationship with each of us, which is what we are made to have. And yet we, like these money changers, we trade that for whatever we think would be better. And that's missing the mark. It's sin. It hurts us. It hurts others. And Jesus doesn't like it. All because Jesus loves us. And he loves this world. That then finally leads us to our second question. 
So that's the first half of the story, and it shows what's wrong with us in the world. But now, in the second paragraph here, our question becomes, but what's the solution? And just so you know, this section on this question will be a a bit briefer than our first, but in terms of significance, this is the most important. Because this, what we're about to hear, is the true solution and answer for each of us and for our world. With all that said, for this, we'll be in that whole second paragraph here in verses 18 through 22, but we'll begin with just 18 through 21. So look down your Bibles, and as we read this, with all that scene from the previous paragraph, with them taking this beautiful thing of the temple where God met with people and twisting it, with all that scene, now listen to this incredibly bold Son of God, Jesus, and his solution to all of this. Verses 18 through 21. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. (laughs) So in verse 18, the Jews understandably question why in the world Jesus was doing what he's doing. Because because I hope you know, going in and flipping over tables in the temple was not something that happened every single day there. (laughs) And and so that's what they're questioning. But what's Jesus' answer in verse 19? Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. Now, that sounds almost cryptic. (laughs) And, And that's why the Jews responded the way they did in verse 20. They said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? And that, and that in a way is a fitting response because this does sound crazy. But it's here that we see Jesus' brilliant teaching and his solution. Because remember, the temple is where God said he'd meet with people in the Old Testament. It's where God was known and worshipped. And so with that in mind, what's, what's Jesus doing here? Well, he's taking that idea of the temple And knowing what he has come to do, he's essentially saying, all this that's going on with this temple and this awful situation caused by sin needs to be and will be destroyed. But in three days, I'll raise up a new temple. And what's the temple? Verse 21, it's his body. It's him. Jesus is the new temple. And now, in one sense, on the face of it, that's it. That's, that's basically the ending of our story. And so again, understandably, the Jews here, they didn't get it. And maybe you're sitting here honestly and you're confused as well. And so now to, to really understand why Jesus would say this and, and why it's the solution we all need to begin, think of it this way. So if the last paragraph was about people disregarding God in the temple, And instead of God, they were choosing their own selfish way to live. Now here, what's the solution? Well, it's Jesus being the new temple. And yes, at first that may sound confusing, but but think about how this fits. Because on the one hand, the, the good news of Jesus, the message of Christianity does include things, I hope you know, like Jesus died to forgive our sins. 
right? And the good news of Jesus does include things like we who trust in Jesus are personally forever loved by God. And the good news of Jesus does include things like we have peace because we know God is for us now and forever. And all of those are gospel truths. And all of those are central to the message of Jesus. But do you know what also summarizes in a way and is also central to the message of Christianity? Well, it's that Jesus is the new temple. It's the fact that we all on our own, each one of us really are sinful. And our sin has hurt us and changed the world for the worst. And we are just like those money changers. Right? Taking things that God intended for good and twisting them to our own advantage. All with little to no regard for God. But what did Jesus come to do? He came to destroy all that and then be raised as the new temple for us. He came to cleanse and then to create something better for us. A better temple. A better, truer way to relate to the God who exists and who wants to have a relationship with each of us. A better, truer way to find that forgiveness, joy, peace, purpose, security that we're all looking for. And it's him. It's Jesus. It's all found in him. And, and this is important to understand. Whether you're here and you're a Christian or you're sitting there and you're not a Christian, this is important to understand because what Jesus is saying here really gets to the center of what Christianity is all about. Because yes, in love, Jesus does temporarily cleanse the temple here to prove a point. You can see that. But notice, that's not his full solution. His solution isn't the old way, but just cleaned up. And then this is really important because this means that Christianity is not... If you hear anything this morning, no, Christianity is not get your life together and do better. That's not it. Logically, maybe Jesus could have said something like that. He could have responded here, hey, you guys should just do better. And basically, all other religions and all other worldviews, even secularism, say that. The message is essentially just be better. Do better. But that's not the message of Jesus. Instead, Jesus' solution to this awful, messed up temple here in this story and his solution for the world and for us who are just like these people, his solution is this needs to be done away with and you need something better. You need a better, truer way of meeting with God in a way that's not just for the Jews but for the whole world. And Jesus is saying, and that's me. Which finally leads us to verse 22. And here's where what we're celebrating here on Easter Sunday specifically comes up. So look down in your Bibles, verse 22. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So see this for yourself. In verse 19, you see that Jesus said, a new temple. A new way to have a relationship with the living God was soon to come and be raised. But then, when exactly did that happen? Verse 22 here. It happened when Jesus was raised from the dead and he really was raised from after being dead in history. Or to say it another way, Jesus wasn't therefore just using figurative speech 
when he was talking about rising up a better temple in three days. Instead, he knew that he was soon going to suffer and die for sin. And then he knew that he'd rise physically, bodily to new life. And that he'd rise as the new temple, as the son of God, the son of man, where everyone now can have a relationship with God. And again, this is then why, although that word temple at first may seem strange to us, which makes sense, it's why Jesus here saying that he's the true and better temple is actually quite helpful. Because on the one hand, the temple back then was where individuals were able to go and meet with God. But also, and importantly, remember, the temple at this time wasn't just a small individual thing. Instead, if you know the Old Testament, the temple was where the whole nation of Israel was told they could go meet with God. And so now here, the point is, the risen Jesus is now that. But specifically, this means it isn't just for Israel anymore, nor is the temple just some building anymore. Instead, now it's the person of Jesus. It's in knowing him where everyone Everywhere can relate to the living God. And that's because Jesus is alive. And specifically, here from his own mouth, he knew that when he'd rise, he'd rise as that new temple. He'd defeat sin on the cross, and then he'd rise as the King, Savior, Lord, God, Mediator, and Temple. And 2,000 years ago, he did all that. He died for sin. He did rise. And now anyone from all over the world through him can know and be known by the living God. And in some of them, that is what we see here in this story. And that, in a nutshell, is the good news of Jesus Christ. Because true Christianity is about how the whole world, anyone in the world, can have a saving, secure relationship with the God who made them. Or even more specifically, it's about how the living God has a personal relationship with people in the world. And how does that happen? Well, now and forever, it is through Jesus Christ. And specifically, it is through the crucified and risen Jesus Christ who did what needed to be done to save us. Who rose in history 2,000 years ago from the grave and who is leading people right now from all over the world to know him and to therefore have more joy, peace, hope, and life that they were made to have now and forever. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus is doing. And that is the good news of Christianity. And so again, that is our story here, church. And as I hope you've seen, that's each one of us and how we fit in this story. But even more important than that, that is Jesus and his resurrection and how he is the solution. Which finally, as we close, leads us to consider one more thing from this passage. One more thing. And as we close, this will individually and personally apply to every single person in this room this morning. So that is all what Jesus teaches and it's what we as Christians know from God's word to be true for us and the world. But to really apply this to you now, this Easter Sunday, Look down one more time at our passage because what's so interesting, if you noticed, is at the end here in verses 20 and 22, there's two opposite ways that people responded to all this about Jesus. And these two ways can symbolize how individuals like you and I still respond to Jesus today. 
Because first is what the Jews say in verse 20. And if you remember, they responded basically by saying, really? No way. And they don't believe. And and still today, this honestly is the response most people respond to when they hear all this about Jesus. But really quickly, in love, I just want to warn you against that response. (laughs) Because the truth is, Jesus did rise from the dead. All this is true. It changed the world. And and yet, all of us in our sin, by nature of what sin is, we all know it. As we've talked about a lot this morning, all of us selfishly want nothing to do with him. Or to say it another way, there really is something within us that does not want to believe this. We naturally want this to not be true. Because it's intrusive. Or it has to do with how I live my life. And yet the reason I want to warn you against disbelief like that is not just because it's incorrect and wrong since Jesus did die and rise in history. But more so it's because as we've seen throughout this morning in our passage, disbelief in the end ultimately is hurtful. Because as we've been saying throughout our time here this morning, we all have sin that needs to be forgiven. And the way we live and the way of our world apart from Jesus, it doesn't work. It doesn't lead to that lasting peace and happiness and security and contentment that we're all looking for. And that's because we were created and designed by this God. We can deny that, but it is factually, objectively true. And and yet still so often we're content with just saying, sure, I believe in God, but really we want nothing to do with him, with Jesus. And so I encourage each of us to not automatically respond with disbelief like that this morning. Instead, and this now leads to the second and opposite response, now notice verse 22. And here we don't have a direct quote from anyone, but we have the writer John who himself witnessed this resurrection. He explains to us that the disciples, when they saw that Jesus rose from the dead, they remembered these sort of things that he said and they believed. And as we close then, that's what I hope for each one of us here in this room on this Easter Sunday morning will do. First, if you're here and you've been a Christian for some time and you do believe and really trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the main application from this passage is to keep believing, keep trusting, keep making it all about Jesus. But then second and finally, especially if you're here this morning and before this morning, you didn't really believe any of this. And finally, looking at verse 22, I pray you leave here like those disciples really trusting and believing Jesus and not just being like the skeptics from verse 20. Because the truth is, we're all broken. We are all suffering. All of us are sinners. We have ugly sins. We have more respectable sins. We have sins that don't really bother us and ones that do bother us. And we have problems that others know about and we have ones that no one knows about. We all do. And God, being real, knows all of it. But also, as we saw this morning, God, knowing all of who we each are, he decided to do something about it. For us personally and for the whole world, and it is the good news of Jesus Christ. 
It's that Jesus is God. He came. He lovingly hated and hates sin. And so he went and died on the cross to deal with that sin, to forgive sin. And he rose from the dead so that right now he is the new temple. (laughs) He is the true way that anyone can have a real relationship with God. And, And so for all of us here, if you were a Christian coming in this Easter Sunday morning or not, all of us here, the invitation from God in his word this morning is to believe. It's to trust this person, the risen Jesus Christ. He has loving, open arms for anyone, anyone who comes to him and who believes in him as that new temple for that forgiveness, that peace, that security, that joy, that peace that we're all looking for. And so one last time, all we do though is we trust him. And so may we each do that in our hearts this Easter Sunday morning and let's keep trusting and worshiping this Jesus throughout the rest of our lives. Let's pray, let's pray.